recording. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Double Down, a WNBA podcast. Don't look now, but we have under a week to go until the WNBA resumes. Very exciting, very exciting times. And uh, I guess it's kind of fitting then that Stephen and I are going to be finishing up our team outlooks with the defending 2019 WNBA champions, the Washington Mystics. Uh, Stephen, we, uh, there's a lot going on here. So let's, uh, let's just focus on what they did last year, which was basically run the entire WNBA out of, the, out of their own league. It's even amazing to consider that like at some point pretty late in the season, like it wasn't a guarantee that this team was going to have the number one seed. That's true. That's true. Uh, Vegas was in it. Uh, the Sun were in it. Um, I, I forget if the Sparks were like, – it, it was not a foregone conclusion by any means. Um, but the Mystics they did end up finishing with the number one seed. They went 26-8. and eight. Uh, Their net rating was ridiculous. They outscored opponents by an average of 14.8 points per 100 possessions. Um, and that was mainly carried by their offense. Their offense was ridiculous. They scored 112 points – uh, sorry, 112.9 points per 100 possessions, which was by far the best in the WNBA. Defensively, they were good enough, I would say. They ranked sixth, allowing 98.1 points per 100 possessions. But, I mean, I, I kind of want to ask you, just how good were the Mystics relative to the field in 2019, particularly offensively? You have some statistics here for context. I mean, yeah, they were amazing. The, the difference between them and the second-best offense, which was uh, Chicago, was larger than the difference between Chicago at number two and Dallas at number 11. Like, they were so far, in a way, um, the best offense in the league in – that applies in an overall standpoint and in the half court as well. Number one in half court offense, 0.987 points per possession. Second best was 0.88. Uh, again, that gap between number one and uh, number two where, where Chicago and Phoenix were tied was uh, larger than the difference between two and 11, which it's just insane to think about. Like they had such an amazing offensive season. If you kind of just go by play type, uh, I'm just going to kind of run through it quickly here. They were number two in terms of efficiency and spot up possessions number one as a pick and roll ball handler, number two in transition, number one as a pick and roll, pick and roll roller, I should say, number two in post-ups, number two in cut, number two in isolation, number one in putbacks. Like there was nothing really that this team didn't do well other than, you know, they were number four coming off screen. So still like well above average. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> what, what I kind of want to uh, clarify for those listening, if you don't have access to Synergy, uh, Synergy Sports, that's what we're getting this from. Um, it basically splits uh, a team's, play types into those categories and it also like it lists like the percentile um points per possession like their rank in the league and then like a it gives it like a subjective rating looking at the mystics it's like excellent 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 excellent. it's just it's hilarious like their offense was was so good and this was uh, what i want to remind you is that what i want to remind you of is that uh offense was kind of down last year uh in particular you know like free throws there was a big uh discussion about you know, the refs weren't calling as many fouls as they did in the past. And that kind of evened out as the season went on. But Stephen, this Washington Mystics team did not need to shoot free throws. Yeah. And this is something that um, our friend Shea over at WNBA with Shea has highlighted previously, like dominant offenses are how you win championships in the WNBA. And that was Washington. Like they were number one in spot ups, as I mentioned, uh, number one in spot up frequency also by like a wide margin. There was so much spacing on this team, so many um, extra swings and kickouts from the paint and obviously just amazing shooting, even, you know, not only with the starters, but even from their, their bench players as well. They were 10th in frequency in post-ups, even including passing. Like they just didn't really run their offense in that way. And, you know, so much of 
offense in the WNBA is like predicated around playing inside out, you know, getting into the paint either by dribble penetration or dumping it down to your dominant post player. Like we talked about a couple of weeks ago with Brittany Griner and just forcing the defense to kind of collapse in Washington really subverted that they played outside in and made the defense so wide open with their floor spacing that when players did decide to, you know, get into the paint through dribble penetration or, or through ball and body movement, things were just wide open. Yeah. This heading into the season, you know, they were getting uh, Emma Mieseman back, which I think was kind of like an X factor for them. You know, we, we talk about, obviously Elena Deladon had one of the best offensive seasons we've ever seen um, posted the first ever 50, 40, 90 split in WNBA history. However, Emma Mieseman also actually, she posted 50, 40, 90 as well. Although I think she was short of the three pointer threshold or maybe it was free throws. She was short of one of the thresholds, but they had so many bigs, big front court players who could stretch the floor. I mean, you could tell this team, that's a good way of putting it. They played outside in and they were just blitzing teams with wide open three after wide open three. Their pick and pop game was terrific. I mean, and they, they, they played well. They, they, they passed the ball well. I think they were last in the league in, in turnover percentage, correct? Yep. They, they turned the ball over the, the least amount in the league. You had mentioned, you know, how deadly they were as a, a pick and pop team. They had the best pick and pop big in Emma Mieseman, the second best pick and pop big in Elena Deladon, and the fourth best pick and pop big in Latoya Sanders in terms of efficiency there. So that was something they didn't run a ton of pick and rolls. Uh, they did pop out a ton when they did roll them in and obviously had huge efficiency from, from those bigs there. Um, shout out to Damaris Dantas for being the only non Washington mystic to crack that top four as uh, a pick and pop big there. Um, they were number one in efficiency around the rim uh, in the half court. They really got to the basket not very often. They were last in terms of shots around the basket by a mile. You know, wouldn't really uh, recommend doing, trying to uh, have the one of the most dominant offenses in, in WNBA history and not really ever get to the paint. But, you know, with, with this amazing shooting percentage that, that they had and, you know, they had uh, three of the top four players in terms of true shooting percentage, uh, Della, Don, Misaman, and Hawkins. So there, there was just really no area that, that they struggled in, in terms of offense. Uh, you know, they were kind of average in, in a few places in terms of like getting to the free throw line and stuff like that. But, you know, it, it didn't matter. You know, Mike Tebow did say he's, he's always wanted a team full of shooters. And like, this was his team full of shooters. Like basically everyone was everyone could shoot and they're like their ball movement was super crisp um you said like they didn't run a ton of pick and rolls i don't think but like just their ability to move the basketball quickly find the open shooter and you also have like the best offensive player in the league in elena deladon who's you know it's kind of like a pick your poison sort of thing do you leave ariel atkins open in the corner for three do you do you allow the pick and pop for latoya sanders do you leave it elena deladon single covered i mean there are just so many weapons on this team they were just making it rain they, they shot so many threes. How many, how many threes did they shoot? I don't have a number in terms of their total number, but they were a number one in three-point attempt rate by a lot. Right. They were 36.4% in terms of their three-point attempt rate. That was, you know, about five percentage points higher than the second highest team. So they really let it fly from out there. And, you know, aside from even just having, like, the offensive talent to make shots, they just, like, all played on a string out there. You know, like, they – uh, were so sort of unselfish in their ball and, and body movement. And I think this is something we're going to get to as we talk about maybe some of the losses that, that they suffered over the offseason, whether just to, uh, you know, switching teams in free agency or, or sitting out the season for, for various reasons. But their crispness of just 
um, cutting and screening off ball. You know, one play that I think really stuck out to a lot of folks like over the WNBA finals, like, and this was something that they would do a few times uh, uh, pretty frequently over the course of the season, like have someone cut from the slot on the weak side just to kind of draw the defense towards them and just immediately kick it out to the weak side corner as soon as they touch the ball. Like they, they made that cut with no intention to ever shoot it. It was just to get a, another shooter open. And, you know, that just kind of was uh, emblematic of this team's offense. You know, nothing was, was purposeless. That's a good way of putting it. And actually, um, now that you, you said nothing was purposeless, I've actually heard that, uh, I've actually heard that term um, used to describe another uh, women's basketball team, the Yukon Huskies. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's, that's pretty high, high praise there. Um, but you're right. Uh, there's the ability with which to move the basketball. You, they're clearly looking for the open three-pointer, and it worked for them. Like we said, one of the best offenses. One of the best offenses I've ever seen. Um, I haven't watched the league you know, since it started in 1997, but I'm fairly confident that, you know, the Mystics offensive rating was one of the top, if not the top in WNBA history. Now, particularly with relation to league average. Of course, of course. Like, like, like I said, like we said before, it was, it was a down year for the WNBA offensively, but the Mystics just blew everyone else out of the water offensively. So Stephen, what, what in particular did you see, like, were there any players you wanted to pick out here? Or, I mean, of course there are some players you want to pick out, but what what why was Washington so successful at this? Well, I mean, it's hard to really pick who you even want to start with because there are so many different options, like different kind of. I mean, the the person I always want to talk about is Christy Tolliver. We we covered her extensively um, in the the Sparks episode, so we don't have to talk too much about her. But I mean, it it only makes sense, I guess, to to start with the the reigning MVP, right? Elena Deladon. Yeah. She led the league in in true shooting percentage. Of course, was the most efficient player in the league she was really the premier offensive player when she was on the court right she was the premier player in isolation you know I think she technically ranked second in terms of like points per possession but had like four times the the amount of possessions as, as number one I think who was uh, Kia Nurse you know as I mentioned only second to Emma Miesemann in terms of her efficiency as a pick and pop player and of course never ever turns the ball over has led the league like every season except for one in terms of turnover percentage since she's been in the league. Uh, it's amazing how, how little she turns the ball over. I think the one that stuck out to me the most just kind of digging through her numbers here is being in the 100th percentile as a pick and roll ball handler, like not something that, you know, you would really think of in terms of uh, how Elena Deladon gets her shots. And, and, you know, it wasn't a ton of volume, but still to be like in the 100th percentile uh, um, running pick and rolls, you know, for your six, four power forward is, is pretty impressive. I mean, it's like, she, what always blows my mind about Elena Deladon is just how methodical she is in her offensive game. And she, this has always been the case with her, even going back to what made her so impressive as a rookie. It's like, she's never going too fast. She's got incredible footwork. She knows the angles. She understands how to use the glass. Like her shots aren't rushed or anything like that. It's, it's poetry in motion. And she never has to rush her shot because there are so few players in the league between her size and her release that can actually challenge that shot effectively, even if you are kind of right up in her airspace. Yeah. Truly a special player. Well, you know, one thing that kind of stuck out also uh, as I was kind of combing through this, you know, she had 36 total pick and roll possessions, including passing out of that, out of the pick and roll as the ball handler, uh, 0% turnovers. So <laughs> um, not bad. Yeah. Not, not necessarily a play that's a low turnover play either, but uh, you know, when you can just rise up over your defender every single time. Of course, she was also in, you know, the 92nd percentile in transition. Um, 
99th percentile in the half court. You know, she was, she was the best offensive player in the league in, because she can do pretty much everything. Yeah. Uh, well-deserved MVP for, for EDD, her second in her career. Um, okay. So that was, that was an obvious one. And you, you mentioned Chrissy Tolliver was also very important for them. Uh, who else? Who else? Well, let, let's talk about Ariel Atkins because this is okay. a player who I think gets a lot of shine. You know, she is uh, very well regarded, I would say, around the league in terms of um, by fans, at least. Um, what, what do you think of Ariel Atkins, you know, two, two seasons into her career, you know, not only last year, but kind of going forward? I think Ariel Atkins was drafted into the perfect position. And that's not to take away from her because she was arguably like she was at, at worst the second the second most WNBA ready player in her class after Asia Wilson, you know, it was was super impressive how she came in and and as a rookie and and just fit into this Washington system, like a glove. Um, I'm that being said, I think that this year is going to be very telling for Ariel Atkins because this is, this is something I was going to talk about later, but we might as well get to it. Now you have Deladon sitting out. You have Tina Charles who they acquired this off season sitting out. You have Natasha cloud sitting out you have Latoya Sanders sitting out. So much of your starting lineup is gone. So much of your usage rate is gone. And you're going to be running a shorthanded roster. Is Ariel Atkins going to be able to maintain that efficiency as when she's basically asked to do a lot more? So maybe like, I think she's been remarkably consistent over the past two seasons, over her first two seasons, rather. Like if you look at her numbers from 2018 and compare it to 2019, they're startlingly, startlingly similar. Uh, but again, like I said, she's in a, she's a, I think she's a very good role player who's playing alongside some elite talent that complements her skills. Is that fair? Because I, I feel like I don't want to sell her short or anything like that, but I agree with you. She does get a lot of shine on, especially, you know, Twitter. Fans love Ariel Atkins and rightfully so. But I just have to wonder, like, what her ceiling is in this league. Yeah, I used the term last week to describe Alicia Clark as. Uh, a star in her role like Ariel Atkins is definitely a star in her role last Absolutely. season but I think there is maybe not the predominant thought but certainly a popular one that she would be a star in different roles and more expanded roles and I'm not too sure about that to be honest with you I don't think you know she she gets by her defender on a straight line drive pretty well but I don't really think she has a ton of shake in her dribble game you know she's not an elite elite shooter you know, 35.7% from three each of her first two seasons. That's definitely good, right? If you're getting that from your fourth or fifth starter who plays excellent defense, uh, that's obviously a piece that can help you win a championship. Totally. But she's also like absolutely a stationary three-point shooter. You know, she might jab step or something like that or, or take a couple of dribbles, but, you know, she's not Allie Quigley or Christy Tolliver or Kayla McBride out there like coming off a screen and releasing and staying on balance as you're still in motion at least not in this offense. You know, she's camping in the corner or in the slot, just kind of waiting for the kick out. So many of her, her three-point attempts came from, you know, spotting up or, or directly off a handoff before she really had to do anything. Uh, now she was in the, you know, 90th percentile, I think, as a pick and roll player, which is, is very promising. But, you know, in terms of her passing, you know, I don't really think she's a player that sort of bends the defense herself in terms of getting all the way to the paint, forcing help, you know, and is going to, I think she's a good stationary passer. You know, she definitely makes smart, heady passes as she's like standing out in her spot in the corner, but, but not a huge playmaker in terms of dribble penetration, forcing a rotation and like contributing a high level assist. 
Um, and I think, you know, maybe she's going to be asked to do that more and maybe I'll be wrong and maybe, maybe she will kind of bring that element to her game, but you know, offensively it can be kind of hit and miss, right? Like she was not closing games in the semifinals versus Vegas. She had that huge game one against Connecticut, but in the semifinals, she went five for 21 shot 24% over the course of that four game series. In the last four games of the finals, after that huge game one, she went 11 for 31 and shot 35% those last four games. So by the end of that, that Vegas series, you know, she was kind of getting the Jackie Young, you know, starting each half and then not coming back in. And they were finishing, you know, playing Ariel Powers uh, a lot more minutes, playing their three big lineup a lot more minutes. So, you know, obviously defensively, she's a terrific player. You know, she made life miserable for a lot of perimeter players can really guard one through three. Like she made life miserable for, for Kelsey Mitchell in games last season for diamond to shields in games last season. But honestly, as talented as a one-on-one defender that she is, like, I think she is even maybe more effective as a help defender when you can put her on like the Jackie young or Danielle Robinson or Benajah Laney. Like she is such a menace helping. She has great hands defensively. She has great hands digging down in the post, like going to double on like a Sylvia Fowles or, or someone like that. And Washington, you know, we'll, we'll maybe get into some of their kind of overall numbers uh, later. You know, they were not a particularly great team defending the post. They were ninth defending post-ups overall. And obviously their options down there didn't have a ton of size and heft, but they were third in creating turnovers on opposing post-ups. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a lot of that goes to Ariel Atkins, right? She really causes a lot of havoc down there. And, um, yeah, she's, she's very good at, at playing physical defense, getting handsy, uh, for lack of a better term, without fouling. You know, only one and a half fouls per 36 minutes last year, which is, I think, very impressive for, for the role that she played, where she was kind of uh, vacillating between, like, being the lockdown defender on, like, a premier wing and, you know, just kind of creating help havoc. Um, sort of uh, very similar in a lot of ways to kind of what Jordan Canada was asked to do that we talked about last week. You know, she had very strong synergy numbers in terms of defending pick and rolls. She was in the 95th percentile. But, you know, these synergy numbers, I think, are a little wonky. And to me, kind of just watching the film, this is like a little bit of an area of opportunity for her. I don't think she's amazing at, like, getting around screens as some other, like, premier perimeter defenders are. And then, of course, if you get caught on the screen, you know, you're not defending that pick and roll anymore. And, yeah. and it doesn't get logged that way. So, um, but, you know, that's probably her last frontier as a defender. She's, she's good at literally everything else on defense, I think. Um, so. You know, I, I, I think the, the role she's in now, maybe she could be like the third best player offensively on a good team. But, you know, this idea that she is, I think, an elite offensive player or that she has some like creation growth in her, I, I don't necessarily see it. Do you? Not really. Um, like I would say if you look for somebody who has elite creation ability, it'd be someone like... Arike Ogunbowale or Diamond Shields, just somebody who can dribble, rise up, and hit a jumper, like just all in one smooth motion. You know, like you, you mentioned it when you said Atkins was a standstill shooter. Like she doesn't have the versatility in her jump shot. She's a she's a good spot up shooter, which for the past two seasons has been more than enough for her, right? But you know, like I said, going into this season, I think it's going to be we're going to get a lot better of a view on who Ariel Atkins is as an overall player because she's going to be asked to do so much more. I don't think you can avoid, uh, she's, she's going to, ha- looking at this rush, I mean, she's going to have to, she's going to have to make, to create some shots, right? Like yeah. they don't really have much of a, a low post presence anymore. They don't really have much of 
dribble penetration other than maybe aerial powers. Um, Atkins is going to have to step it up a little bit. Yeah. And, and to be fair to her, you know, she was in the 84th percentile in terms of jump shots off the dribble, uh, at least, you know, in the half court or whatever. But um, I think just in terms of, you know, being able to move without the basketball and kind of create a, an outside shot that way. And then just like uh, creation for others, you know, and as I mentioned before, she's, she's a very um, solid three point shooter, but she's not an amazing one, you know, only in the 64th percentile as a, a catch and shoot player last year. So, you know, she's, she's a, a player that would make every team better to be sure. But I just think people are, some people are, are maybe getting a, a little ahead of themselves in terms of where, where she's going to go from here. Uh, in an expanded role. Well, okay, I think that's fair. Now, they also have Emma Misaman, who I have been a supporter of for a very long time. Um, like, I wasn't surprised at all when when she was going off in the WNBA Finals and people were calling, oh, playoff Emma. Well, I'm like, no, that's that's just Emma. Like, she has been that good. But I think this is she's going to be in kind of a similar situation this year because she has this reputation of not – being like a takeover kind of player, right? She was like, everyone could see she was good before the Elena Deladon era in Washington, but you know, the coaches were begging her to shoot more, shoot more, shoot more. So has she kind of grown as an individual, like her mindset? Because she, she did, she did come out and say like, Hey, this is a, yeah, I want to play this season. It's going to be an interesting challenge. It'll be fun. So I don't know. Do you think Emma can step it up and, and kind of be this team's number one option now? Yeah, I, I think she can in a way that is different than Elena Deladon. Like, she's not going to be creating in isolation or kind of just, like, shooting over her defender. But, you know, she she does different things, right? Uh, she is a very good post-up player in terms of, you know, I think she was in, like, the 100th percentile in post-ups last season. But she's someone who's going to post-up mismatches, right? She's not Brittany Griner where she's just going to kind of put it down there every single time and, uh, you know, just kind of work with her back to the basket for, for 40 minutes. Like that, that's not her. She, she's more of a perimeter player and she's tremendously skilled as a perimeter player. You know, she being the kind of focal point of an offense, like it, it's not necessarily, I mean, she, she's been in this role before, probably not to the extent that she will be, you know, this upcoming season, but you know, she, she's played for Washington without Elaine Deldon. You know what I mean? Like she has been a focal point of their offense. So, you know, obviously she's, tremendously gifted as a pick and pop player. Like I, I think this team is going to run a ton of pick and rolls next season. Oh, yeah. uh, we'll get to their, their prized acquisition of the off season a little later, Lalani Mitchell, but like those two should, should run a ton of pick and rolls. Um, you know, Mason probably has a little bit more passing chops than, than she's given credit for at this point of her career, you know, just kind of being a six man and a little bit of a, a gunner, I guess. Um, but, you know, I think she's an elite play finisher, right? I don't think she's going to kind of, go and get those um, end of the shot clock. I'm just going to rise over my defender from 14 feet type shots that, that you were getting from Elena Deladon, but few people can, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's pretty hard to replace the individual production that EDD gives you. Uh, yeah. Emma, I think the one thing I really like about her game is, is the head fake head fake and drive to the basket because it just looks yeah. so smooth, but yeah, I mean, you're right. They're going to be probably running a ton of pick and pops for her. Uh, it, it almost feels like to me, Last year, it, like, this is a team you barely had to run plays for because they were so, so unselfish and their movement without the basketball was so good. But that might be a little different this year. Yeah, I think so. I think things are going to have to be a little bit more organized. I mean, obviously, when, when you have 
essentially four new starters. You know, granted, right. Misaman and Powers were uh, projected to start this season, and they were on the team last year. But, I mean, it's a lot of new faces and, and a lot of players who maybe weren't really playing big minutes at all for any team last year. So uh, I think, you know, one thing you mentioned was Misaman's kind of um, attacking closeouts. Like, that's definitely a, a very encouraging part of her game. But, you know, I think she is kind of more of a... Um, a finisher than than a creator, right? Uh, at least in my opinion, we'll we'll see kind of what this year brings. But they um, at least have some infrastructure in place with with the coaching staff and everything. Defensively, you know, I think it's going to be a little bit more of a challenge, uh, especially if Misman ends up like being the starting center, which in my opinion she she probably should. You know, I would like to see this team because they have the players for it. And this is something you know we're we're kind of going a little out of order here, but I kind of hope they just go all offense, right? Like. Start Hawkins and Misaman at the four and the five and just hope you can outscore people. Well, I mean, I don't think they really have much of a choice, do they? Right. Yeah, I guess. But I feel like other coaches might be tempted to start like an Elena Coates because she's a quote unquote traditional center and, you know, want to give you some size or something like that. But that wouldn't be my preferred option. Yeah, I agree with you there. In fact, I think just seeing how this, how this offseason is kind of shaken out, like we'd be remiss to not acknowledge that Elena Deladon she had her initial request for a medical waiver denied, um, but the Mystics are paying her anyway. They're basically paying her to sit out. Like they, they don't, we don't know if she has, if she will for sure miss the entire season. I would bet that she will, but we'll see. Um, so I, I think Mike Tebow was kind of just resigned to the fact of saying, like, okay, we're in a we're in a pretty pretty difficult situation here. Like I think the Mystics have been hit hardest um, of any WNBA team by all these opt outs. Like we said, they've lost four starters, and one of them is a perennial MVP candidate, right? So it's it's basically impossible to expect the same level of production that you did last season that you got last season. So I, I think they're just at a point where it's just like, okay, let's uh let's just stick to what we're good at and uh go all in on because I mean if they start Tiana Hawkins and, and, and Emma Mieseman and with Leilani Mitchell with the point guard with Ariel Atkins, like you're still gonna have really, really good floor spacing. Yeah, they should be able to, you know, play five out at least with their starters, I, you know, when, once we get to the bench, I think things will get a, a little bit more ugly here. But, um, you know, one thing I wanted to kind of talk about just before we kind of transition fully to next season and what this team is going to look like, um, I kind of wanted to just acknowledge Natasha Cloud a little bit. She is a player, in my opinion, who like every single metric sells short, like what it is she's bringing to the table. I you know, she, her, her defensive metrics aren't amazing. Um, she was slightly below average efficiency last season uh, in terms of her own offense, but she's, I hate to use cliches on the show, but she's a floor general out there, you know, to be sure she's one of those players that brings with them, like the institutional cutting and passing and screening. And she plays tough defense. You know, like I said, the numbers don't really love her there, but I think she's a terrific defender and would love to have her on my team. And, you know, I'm going to miss watching her play this season for sure. Well, I, I think, I, first of all, I totally agree with you on that. I think Cloud has long been one of the most underrated players in the league just because the metrics sell short her contributions, like in, in every way. But if you watch her play, it's like, well, what is this team going to look like without her? Well, we're going to see that this season. Um, she's about 5'11", 6 feet, right? She, so you know she's going to be able to guard one through three. So that's another player you can do that which is absolutely integral. Like we have some stuff in here in our notes about the Mystics played a very switch heavy defense. Um, Cloud and uh, Latoya Sanders, who I'm a big fan of, they really held that defense together. Yeah. Along with, with Atkins, I would say like those three kind of made them able to do what they did defensively. 
uh, you know, as you mentioned, they were only average, but they were a very tough average. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And um, they were incredibly switchy. So a, a couple of things that I wanted to mention, like they were third lowest proportion of shots allowed within five feet. Um, they were tied for the fourth lowest three point attempt rate, uh, which was a little surprising to me actually, because I figured teams would just be like chucking it. Like I expected their three point attempt rate against to be very high just because teams were like so frequently, like furiously trying to mount a comeback late in the game. But they were also tied for the second lowest free throw attempt rate allowed. And, and all those things, I think, to me, were like indications of, of what results in the switch-heavy system. Um, because when you are switching, you aren't creating those gaps and angles that going over or under pick and rolls or when you're trying to get around off-ball screens uh, and kind of um, get through a couple of people to, to recover to your assignment. Like, those schemes create angles and, and slots and uh, holes in the defense to attack that that switching systems if you're able to do it just just don't uh, yield you know what I mean and you know obviously they were not amazing defensively but I think they they had um, a very good I think uh, defense for playoff success because there wasn't a lot of opportunity for error like you were either kind of just your assignment was beating you or you know, the player that you decided to leave in the corner because they were a liability hit the shot that they were supposed to hit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and now when we talk about switching defense, like everything you talk about with a switching defense, that's like, ideally speaking, we talked a lot about this one uh, on our Dallas Wings episode where they were switching a lot and still not really doing it very well. Yeah. Well, that's, I think, when you switch because you're not sure what's happening. <laughs> Yeah, so Mystics knew what, ha- knew what was happening, yeah, right? Yeah. I think, and going, looking at the, uh, at the opposing shot distribution, like if you don't allow many shots at the rim and you're also pretty decent, not allowing many three-pointers, I think you're going to have a pretty good defense or at least an acceptable defense. So it's like, I think they're, they're an intelligent defensive team and they, they ran a system that they, uh, how do I say this, that they knew they could get away with, right? Because you know they're not going to be, the most physical or most overwhelming team up front. And we saw that against uh, Las Vegas in the semifinals, which was, by the way, a terrific series. It was, it was an amazing, it was a lot of fun. It went four games, not five games, but like three of those four games were just total barn burners. It was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, but I mean, I mean, like if they just played Vegas straight up, you know, might've turned out differently for them. Yeah. Um, I, I completely agree with you. I guess we should at this point transition to, this upcoming season, we've kind of been going back and forth, but, but let's talk about Leilani Mitchell a little bit, obviously, you know, coming off uh, a sensational season, perhaps a shockingly sensational season, given some of her stature and kind of uh, tenure in the league. Okay. So Leilani Mitchell, I mentioned this before, but she, uh, she won most improved player again, which, which kind of, I I think I, I don't, really like that award because like so much goes into it it's like well what what constitutes improvement you have here she was declining or the metrics i don't know her as a as a player itself but like the metrics had her declining for several seasons and she comes out and she has this absolutely ridiculous shooting season and they're like well i I guess she improved again you know she won it twice in her career so it's it's kind of funny but she was totally lights out for phoenix last season and that's a player who obviously mike tebow gravitates towards yeah it's funny when so much of like your uh, clout for this award relies on like your shooting percentage as like a, a mostly three point shooter over the course of like a 34 game season. Like yeah. we, we've seen like very good three point shooters have, you know, kind of down seasons just because 
you know, from, from the arc, just because the sample size is so low over the course of, you know, so few games. But uh, in terms of Leilani Mitchell, last season, a career high in usage, career low in turnover percentage, uh, pretty good combination. Yeah. Her 603 true shooting percentage was the highest in her career since uh, 2010, which, as you mentioned, I think was the first time she won the Most Improved Player Award. And, you know, as you mentioned, she was kind of trending downward, you know, obviously, as most players of her age do. Um, but she came out of pretty much nowhere, you know, was cut before the season to, to make the cap work um, and just had an extremely effective offensive season. She was in the 92nd percentile in her own offense and offense, including passes after being in the 29th percentile in her own offense and 58th percentile in her own offense, the two seasons prior. So Pretty crazy. Yeah. And, and we, we kind of talked about a little bit, so much of it came from just like, you know, making your shots, right? 92nd percentile in jump shots off the dribble on very high volume last season. She was in the sixth percentile in 2018. So just some really incredible like leaps as a player. And obviously she had like a much larger role last season than than she did in 2018 when Diana Taurasi was healthy and she was more of kind of just, you know, really a tertiary player and contributor. But last season uh, continued, she was 99th percentile in her own offense as a pick and roll ball handler. 79th percentile, including passes. Uh, she only really got to the basket about a third of the time uh, she shot in the pick and roll. So really, you know, relied on jump shooting. You don't want to continue to, to beat a dead horse here, but um, 92nd percentile in jump shots off the dribble last season. Uh, only 16% of her shots came from around the rim. You know, even with the diminished roster coming into Washington this season, you know, on the floor, at least starters versus starters, you know, should be a lot more spread out than it was in, in Phoenix when they were, you know, playing with at least one paint bound center at all times, you know, two a lot of the time. Um, so maybe with some more floor spacing, she'll, she'll be able to get to the rim a little bit more. But, you know, I'm not super, I guess, encouraged to, to think that she will. So, you know, she's not really someone that has ever really consistently gotten there over the course of her career. And, you know, last season, she was also a terrific spot up player. Let's see if she actually has any opportunity to spot up this season, you know, kind of being the only real ball handler on the roster, at least, you know, in terms of being an accomplished WNBA player. So, you know, 100th percentile coming off screens last season. We'll, we'll see how much of that she's able to do. I'm guessing not that much. Um, 78th percentile off handoffs, you know, pretty similar to a pick and roll. So I imagine that'll, that'll translate as well. In terms of being a playmaker, like she's definitely going to be this team's best option. Uh, I don't think she's any great shakes as a passer, you know, especially last season, so many of her, you know, quote unquote assists were just kind of dumping it down to Brittany Griner. Brittany Griner takes six dribbles from the post and somehow <laughs> it's an assist. Um, but, you know, such is uh, scorekeeping in the WNBA, I suppose. But, you know, she's a good passer, I think, but I, I, I don't think she's even a Natasha Cloud level passer out there or, or anything like that. But. Well, I mean, I, I think you're also losing, I don't want to say something obvious, like too obvious here, but, but the height, the size. Leilani Mitchell is what six or five, four at best, whereas Cloud not, is not like tall. almost yeah yeah. So I I think you're losing a, a lot of the uh, the potential court vision there, as well as I think a guard who can maybe how do you think Leilani Mitchell is is a good pace guard or no? Um, what do you mean by that? Like, do you think she can run an up tempo offense? Because I believe Natasha Cloud can do that, but is Leilani Mitchell like? Do you think she's more of a half court player? No, I think she. Uh, I mean, I don't know about like her wind over the course of, you know, 30 minutes or something, but I think she has the skill set at least to, you know, I don't, she 
was not particularly good at scoring in transition for herself, but when you include passing, you know, she was in the 89th percentile in okay. transition offense last season. So I think she can run, you know, with pace and play a more up-tempo offense. Uh, you know, this team I think is going to be playing a pretty short rotation. So maybe they'll, they'll slow it down more than you and I would like them to, but hopefully they, they continue to play with pace and push and, you know, run off uh, misses it. And you, cause I, I think they still do have the personnel to do it. Okay. Cause like Mike Tebow, I don't think has ever had a team that is super fast in terms of pace, but, and like you said, they have, they have 10 players with several of them being fairly unproven in the WNBA. So I don't know. I, I think you're right. I think they're just going to be, I think they're going to be pretty slow, maybe, maybe sort of. I don't think they're going to be the slowest, but they're definitely not going to be like as – I would like to see a lineup like this run more because there's so much shooting and it's kind of undersized. Actually, not kind of. It is undersized, like full stop. But with a short rotation, uh, I don't know. Yeah, and hopefully they go, you know, even more undersized and, and play some aerial powers at the four when Tiana Hawkins is in the game. Um, That'd be fun. With, you know, Atkins and, and Carson on the wing. I guess – you know, from here, let's talk a little bit about that kind of unproven bench, let's call it. Um, and we can start with maybe the, the battle for the backup center minutes between uh, former number two overall pick, Elena Coates, and Maisha Hines-Allen. All right, I knew you wouldn't let that one get away from me. All right. Um, yeah. Do, do, I mean, do you have a, a preference for one over the other? Not really, because I feel like neither of them are really going to give you a significant advantage anywhere on the court. I mean, I suppose Coates could be a good rebounder for you, but she doesn't really do much for you offensively aside from getting offensive rebounds and putbacks, right? Which are, which are nice, but I mean, she's totally ineffective outside of the paint unless she's setting a high screen. And even then I wouldn't call her like one of the best screeners in the WNBA and Heinz Allen. Like I still think she's, she depends a lot on her motor you know, because she's, she's again, very undersized. And I think she tries to do a little too much with the basketball sometimes, but maybe it was because, you know, she's trying to come in and I'm totally spitballing here, but maybe it's because she's trying to come in during her limited minutes and, and prove herself. I think she's going to get a much longer leash this season than she did last season. Like last season, she was like a, an end of the bench player. Right. But this season, I think she's earned, or if you want to say earned a larger role, because we said they might play some small ball with aerial powers the four. I would like to see it. But at the same time, if you only have four traditional bigs, you got to find some minutes for all of them. So I don't know. Do you have a preference? I'm, I'm kind of unsure about that one. Well, one thing that you had mentioned that I kind of have the same observation on is like Heinz Allen. She, she tries to do a little bit too much. Like she really wants to create for herself off the dribble for some reason. And to me, she, she strikes me as someone with the skill set who – like, I feel very confident that she probably puts up dominant numbers in lower-level leagues overseas with her strength and athleticism, but just doesn't have enough quite, like, a, of a basketball game, like a WNBA game to contribute in this league in a positive way. You know, she's someone who has pretty good strength and, you know, can get to the right hand with, with a head of steam and stuff like that. But, you know, she 48% shooting in two seasons within five feet was actually worse last year than her rookie season. And you know, that's in the context of playing in like the most spaced offense, essentially in like WNBA history. Like, right. you know, if you can't be efficient as a paint bound player in this offense, like what are you doing? Elena Coates, I guess, you know, 
you know, she'll set a good high ball screen for you, but really doesn't do anything else off the ball to make herself valuable. Like she's never going to set a screen off the ball. Um, I think her basketball instincts are, are not amazing. Um, she has pretty slow help instincts and doesn't really have like the verticality to challenge if she's even like a little bit late. She's a player with a higher career turnover percentage than usage percentage. So that's not good. I think the big thing about Elena Coates is just like, to me, she does not play with a very high motor for someone who is not getting promised minutes. Like you would think that she would just play harder all the time when she does get those minutes. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to say like she's, she's not playing hard, but when I think of a player who is fairly paint bound like that, who's, who's relying on screening and rolling for much of their offense and is going to be hitting the glass for their main, uh, main production. I think of someone like, I don't know, Rashonda Gray, right. They, they're, they're able to, they're, they're, they're going in there with, with one mindset, they're hitting the glass, they're setting screens and they're letting, you know, they're, they're, they're creating the action. Right. I haven't really seen Coates do much of that throughout her career so far. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. Uh, with all that being said, I think I still prefer her to Maisha Hines Allen, just because, you know, even though it, ha- it hasn't worked, I, I can s- kind of see a path for her being at least like a l- not amazing, but f- good enough, like backup center, giving you backup center minutes and doing backup center things. Like I don't even think Heinz Allen really does backup center things. You know, she is more of a four in terms of her size, but you know, she allegedly can space the floor, but her numbers have not been very, very good from there. At not least really. from the, the WNBA, you know, from what I understand, she, she shot a bit overseas, but you know, I guess Coates it, for me would be the first big off the bench, but you know, what, when we're getting down to these bench players, it's, it's not looking great. It's tough. It's tough. Um, and then out, out on the wing, I mean, we, we've already established that Ariel Atkins is going to get a lot of burn. Ariel Powers, I think is due for a big season, mainly because as we talked about, she's basically the only player on this team who can get to the rim consistently. And you know, she's not shy shooting it. So, uh, but then beyond, behind that, I mean, they signed Essence Carson, we we were in favor of Las Vegas signing her, and then they did not that. Um, so I don't know. Do you think WBGMs are just think she doesn't have much left in the tank, or what? Well, I mean, she she got a gig, which is more than some other players can say at Very this true. point. Um, so, you know, I think she is a good enough signing, but they need like two more Essence Carson's level players to to fill out a bench, right? Um, so, you know, I think she's, she's probably going to play. She'll be fine. She'll take a lot of foot on the line twos. It'll drive <laughs> people crazy. Um, but she's probably still, even with all the question marks around her, like their best bench player, you know. But what, one player I did want to talk a, lot, a little bit about was their uh, rookie, Kiara Leslie. Okay. Well, how do you think she's going to fit into this team? Um, well, first of all, I think a lot would have to depend on her health. Uh, that might seem like, a, like an obvious answer, but I mean, she's – Here's a player who had medical issues during her first couple seasons at Maryland. Um, she transferred to NC State after that, and she was successful. She had a couple pretty good upperclassmen seasons, particularly as a senior. Uh, I think when she was drafted, the Mystics picked her at number 10 overall last season. Um, but then she had a meniscus procedure like the week before training camp or something like that. She says, yeah, I didn't even know it was, it was torn. Like it, it didn't bother me at all. So, And then she had a second procedure to clean it up in, uh, a couple months later because she wasn't recovering well or something like that. That's a huge red flag to me. I don't, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a sports physician, but if you're having multiple operations on the same knee, because it's not, it's not progressing the way you want it to. I think that's, that's probably a concern. That being said, I think, I think there's stuff to like here because she's about, you know, six feet tall. 
maybe you know that, that that's people like to be generous with that so maybe like 511 but she can also really shoot it um her senior season at Mar- uh sorry at nc state she was in the 94th percentile in spot up opportunities and in the 97th percentile in catch and shoot she was pretty average in like most other offensive categories but i think when tebow drafted her in the first round he was trying to get like another ariel atkins um granted someone having someone who can come in like ariel atkins did as a rookie and really like i said fit in immediately and be so WNBA ready. That's, that's a pretty tough gig. That's a pretty tough task. Um, but like on paper, I think it, it'd be reasonable to expect from Leslie. I don't know if she's much of a shot creator for herself. I'm, I'm just concerned if she can play consistent minutes in a condensed schedule. Cause we're going to be playing what three, three games a week, right? Like week, week in, week out, three game, three game, three game. And in a short rotation, if you're coming off like several knee, knee surgeries, I'm, I'm not sold. I think they might go with Essence Carson before her just to kind of get Leslie's feet wet a little bit because you know they're not, let's be honest, they're probably not going to be contending for a championship this year, right? So you don't want to throw in a rookie who's, who's coming off several knee surgeries, if, that, if that's fair. Like, I, don't, I don't have much context for this in the, in the history of previous seasons, but that's not what I would do. As a play, if she was healthy, though, I think she's going to be a decent player. You know, I, I think some people are sleeping on her, actually, because – her, her quote her true rookie season or whatever you want to call it, she had to sit out. So uh, I don't know. We'll see. She should get decent burn, right? Because I mean, they're just so short everywhere. Yeah. And maybe in kind of a more normal world, like she has almost like a, a red shirt season this year, you know, would probably just be given the opportunity to kind of take it a little bit slower and yeah, uh, play as, as the minutes maybe came to her a little bit more, but she's probably going to play, you know, she'll probably be the, not the, backup two or the backup three but maybe when they have uh, all bench lineups out there you know she'd obviously need to be one of those five considering the team only has 10 players but, you don't have much choice right yeah <laughs> um so you know maybe just combining like low minutes per game w- with kind of playing three games per week will, will help her you know adjust to to such a condensed schedule but hopefully she's able to contribute you know i'm looking forward to it so uh from from kind of an overall standpoint you know this is a an episode that as of a couple of weeks ago, like I was really looking forward to certainly before uh, Natasha Cloud and Latoya Sanders announced that they were going to miss the season because this was a team that I think a lot of folks were very high on, you know, coming off a championship, losing Christy Tolliver, bringing in Leilani Mitchell and, and Tina Charles. Um, and I think you and I were both a lot lower than the consensus in, in terms of, you know, what, what we were going to expect from that version of this team. And obviously we don't really have the chance to kind of dissect what that's going to look like uh, because you know those many of those players aren't going to be playing this season but with this sort of roster you know what what are you expecting I think they're going to shoot a ton of threes and they're going to give up a ton of points simple as that like we've been saying over and over uh, I don't really see any area in which this team is going to excel defensively I think they're really going to struggle particularly against size and maybe in the backcourt as well they don't have much depth so I, I think they're going to take like a a very high variance approach you know, maybe they'll do a lot of trapping in, in, in the half court because, I mean, like, you kind of have to, right? Like, you can't play straight up with this. You can't play straight up defense with this lineup, can you? Uh, not very well, you can't. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean you, there you, you can go. try. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah. Um, go ahead. So, yeah, I, I, again, I, like I said, high variance. I think they're going to try and manufacture a lot of turnovers and an offense they're going to shoot a ton of threes because looking up and down the roster, that is still – like what they're good at, especially in the front court. Cause and Tiana Hawkins in particular, I want to mention, um, she was 
really, really good last season. She had a career season, especially shooting the three-pointer. But that's another player where it's like she's going to be stepping into a much larger role by, you know, by virtue of this roster being so thin. So will she be able to match that efficiency with her increased usage? I'm, I'm not convinced. So, I, yeah, going back to it, I think they're going to just shoot a ton of threes, play aggressive defense, maybe not very effective defense. And, like, what I was going to say is looking back at this team last season – it seemed like everything was such a sure thing, right? Like, okay, if the offense breaks down, yeah, okay, just dump the ball down to the best offensive player in the league. Otherwise, you know, it's, it's screen, screen, swing, 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 open three-pointer almost every time, right? Now, oof, looking, up, looking up and down this roster, I don't know what to expect besides from a lot of threes. Is there anything you wanted to predict or? Yeah, well, I just kind of wanted to go over some of what I thought might be their, their strengths and weaknesses. Okay. But one thing I wanted to just kind of build off what you were saying before, uh, you know, Tiana Hawkins, as you mentioned, a uh, uh, pretty career best in terms of like her three-point shooting last season, but also 62% from two. So just uh, kind of an amazing offensive season all around. And, and I mentioned she was fourth in the league in true shooting percentage. And I think when this team has what I believe should be their five starters on the floor, you know, Leilani Mitchell, Ariel Atkins, Ariel Powers, Hawkins, and Miesemann, I think that's going to be a pretty good offense. Like I think that offense can score with a lot of teams out there. Like their pick and pop game is going to continue to be good. Even with all these new faces, you know, Leilani Mitchell was an excellent player. They have two um, very good floor spacing bigs. So, so a lot of space out there. I, I don't know if this is necessarily going to be a weakness, but I, I think their transition offense overall uh, certainly won't be as good as it was last year. They, they lost a lot of their horses in transition. And, you know, outside of kind of hoping that some of the institutional offense uh, stays in place with the ball and body movement and, you know, hoping that they just run a ton of pick and pops and space the floor and, and their players are able to, you know, attack uh, players who maybe don't usually attack the basket are, are able to um, with, with such floor spacing. You know, I think this team is obviously going to be pretty bad defensively. Like they, they have probably one plus defender for her position and, and Ariel Atkins, a couple solid defenders for their position and, and Mitchell and Ariel Powers. I think Powers is, you know, pretty good out there. She can definitely be part of a good system, but it won't be this year. Um, they lost obviously a lot of length and toughness and switchability in both the backcourt and the front court. Um, you know, we mentioned it before, Latoya Sanders just provides them so much flexibility defensively. Uh, they lost a ton of their their screeners, I think. Like Chrissy Tolliver was, I think, their best screener last year. Sanders and Elena Deladon were probably their second and third best screeners. You know, they they lost some really smart cutters. Um, obviously, they're going to be undersized defensively at all times, pretty much. And, you know, they really just lack any kind of options to, to put pressure on the rim. You know, you had mentioned Ariel Powers is really their only um, player that's kind of guaranteed to be in their rotation that that can get to the rim from the perimeter. And she's not exactly going to be creating from others. Like she's not someone that makes high leverage passes. You know, I think yeah. she's a really good player and, you know, a good three level scorer in, in her own offense and as a catch and shoot player. But, you know, I don't think this team is going to get to the line at all. Like Ariel Powers is really their only player that does that with any consistency. And, you know, as we, we keep saying, depth is going to be a big problem for them. Like anytime it's not those five starters out there, maybe with Essence Carson as well as, as a sixth player. Like, I, I think it can get real ugly fast. Do you think this is a playoff team, all th like, given the current situation? I, I do not think they're going to be a playoff team. I think they're 
maybe going to be like fighting for the last spot with Minnesota, Vegas, and then them. But I think they're considerably worse than those two teams. Like even with Minnesota not really having a point guard and uh, Vegas not really having anyone that can shoot the three other than Caleb <laughs> McBride. Like uh, even still, I, I think, you know, those teams at least have more than six basketball players on their team. So yeah, um, I, I think they probably, you know, miss the playoffs, win the lottery and continue to dominate the league for, for years on end. Boy, that would be, that would be just so telling. That'd just be so great. Yeah. Um, this speaking as a, as a bitter sky fan, who's, whose team has never won the lottery, but okay. Um, I, I agree with you on that. I, I think they're going to be, like, I think they're going to be more competitive than a team like Dallas or New York. But at the same time, again, I just can't get over, like, this lack, lack of depth. Even when you're going up against a team like Minnesota, who, like, we're, I think we can both agree we're not that high on. But they at least have some semblance of, of continuity from last season. Whereas this, this is just a mess for Washington. Um, I hate to say it, but, I mean, like, like they're, they're, they've lost so much and they're bringing in so much. It's uh, – it's going to be tough for him. It's going to be tough for him. But it's going to be tough for basically everybody down there in Braden's. And so we'll see. I mean, stranger things have happened. Mike Tebow has gotten – I think I, I, sh- I should mention this. He has – before Atlanta Daladon uh, went to Washington, he did get a lot out of some Washington teams that a lot, a lot of people didn't think were going to be very good. Like they kind of backed into the playoffs a couple of times. So it, it could happen again. You know, we never know, especially if they play like a really high-variance – level of play and uh you know make or miss league right and you know one thing i just want to say um there's you know still a little bit of uh questions in terms of what's going on with atlanta uh that that i hadn't considered before as i was just kind of looking over so so you know if courtney williams um is not going to play for atlanta this season which there's been some speculation about then that certainly opens up i think another uh, playoff spot and then washington might be fighting with those three teams for for two spots and that helps their chances a little bit so but nevertheless i don't think they're going to be that good but i do think they're going to be you know a fun bad team which is better than a boring bad team absolutely always 100 percent uh is there anything else you want to talk about for washington here no i mean you and i have so much pent-up tina charles material that i guess it's just going to (laughs) wait for another year wait for another year okay so so hold your fire on the unsubscribe button for for a little while now at least um okay so that's that's it for our season overview, man. Uh, we got through all the teams in the WNBA, both reviewing what they did in 2019, previewing what they're going to do for 2020, or at least what we think they're going to do. All that's left is to finally play the games here. I'm really looking forward to it. Anything you kind of want to add to that? No, I think if you are listening to this early in the week, uh, I think we expect to release one more episode before the season starts where we kind of give our uh, sort of more overall predictions in terms of maybe some WNBA tiers, uh, predictions for awards, stuff like that. And then uh, we're going to be talking about some games uh, in just a little under a week from when this is released. Yeah, so stay tuned because um, that next episode will be the one where you all you all dig it up and then laugh about how I'm wrong about something or, or made a stupid prediction or whatever. So everyone loves doing that. It's great for engagement. It's great for content. Uh, until then, thank you all so much for listening. As always, uh, follow us on Twitter at WNBA or our personal accounts at E or at Trinkwald. Um, we're on Google Play. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Podbean, all that good stuff. So like, comment, rate, subscribe, whatever you want to do. It's all cool with us. Uh, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Stay safe and stay healthy.